I think the excrement is about to hit the proverbial fan. Uh, with each succeeding indictment of former President Donald Trump, with each succeeding development in any of his cases, uh, it becomes readily apparent that what is going on here is not pursuit of criminal conduct or a criminal. What is going on here is a mentally unbalanced obsession with one man. And why? Because he dared to challenge a corrupt, rigged system whereby Washington has its own little fiefdom. Donald Trump dared to challenge the status quo and ran as an outsider. And that's what has these people afraid, because they have their own little fiefdom, as I said, with the power of the incumbency. The re-election rate of U.S. congressional representatives in the House and the Senate is unbelievably high. The only time things change hands, it seems, is when one of them decides to retire or <clears throat> if one of them gets arrested or dies. Uh, but nobody gets arrested lately. Some people die. Uh, but that's about it. It's basically an office for life. And if we didn't have term limits on the presidency, who knows how long uh, those people would stay in office. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of The Jamie Dury Show. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of three easy ways. Either download the free Podbean app through your Google device or your Apple device and subscribe that way, or simply use your native podcast aggregator app to subscribe to The Jamie Dury Show. Whichever way you choose to subscribe, you'll be able to leave comments, leave reviews. We desperately need more of both, so please give us a five-star review. We make an effort to do a good show for you and give you information you won't get other places. So share the show with your friends, give us a review, and if you have a question for me or a topic you'd like me to cover, simply send me an email at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. That's jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. So how do we know this is an obsession? Well, because it makes no sense. If Donald Trump was really guilty of something. One would think they'd be able to come up with one solid case. Instead, as Alan Dershowitz has said, they've come up with four experimental cases, all of them relying on untested legal theories never before employed against an individual. It's almost unthinkable that they would be employed against the 45th president of the United States. The Left has been against Donald Trump since Trump won in 2016. They did not believe it. They couldn't believe it. They thought there would be no chance. And now that they've realized that their system wasn't that foolproof, they're trying to cripple this man from running again. And as an ancillary advantage, they're trying to set an example to intimidate any other businessman from trying to run. I am quite surprised that Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, who is a very, very wealthy man, is running. I thought he would have been um, crucified the same way as Trump was. I think the only thing saving Mr. Ramaswamy is the fact that Mr. Trump is still in the field because he is the front runner. There's no question about that. So they probably don't feel threatened by Mr. Ramaswamy. But as his political fortunes rise, if they do, or in some future election, if he decides to run, you're going to see a different sort of take on Mr. Ramaswamy by the left. But for the time being, 
Donald Trump is the man who dominates the Republican field. In fact, he dominates the field, period, I believe, Democrat or Republican. Latest numbers from a poll by the Des Moines Register with respect to the Iowa court. Again, this is not a national poll. This is just respect to Iowa. President Trump maintains a strong plurality of support in the state with 42% of likely Republican caucus goers expressing support for him. The next closest challenger is Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. He's only got 19%. So Trump doesn't have more than 50%, but that's only because there's a plethora of people in the race at this point that are still bleeding off 9% here, 6% there. For instance, well, DeSantis has got 19. He has the most, but he's still 23 points uh, behind Trump. In fact, it's interesting to note that his deficit to Trump, 23 percentage points, is greater than the percentage of support that he's garnering. He's getting 19% of the vote, but he's 23 points behind. Now, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina has got nine. Uh, former Governor Nikki Haley, uh, or South actually the Governor Nikki Haley, is at 6%. So that's 15 right there. Vice President Mike Pence, believe it or not, has got 6%. And the whale from New Jersey, Chris Christie's got five. So we've got nine, we've got 15, we've got 20, we've got 26, and Vivek Ramaswamy uh, at 4%, there's the other 30. So there's your your breakup. As people start dropping out, those uh, supporters are going to be drifting to one candidate or another. I would think the proportions being what they are, the bulk of them would drift to Donald Trump. Now, this is a poll uh, carried out over a stratified sample of 406 likely caucus goers, Republican caucus goers. It has a margin of error of just under 5%. Now, one of the people who analyzed in this poll says, well, it may be closer than it seems at first, uh, because uh, the president of the firm that conducted the poll said that uh, Trump and DeSantis roughly tied as first and second choice candidates. Well, then how does he have 42%? And then it said that 63% uh, said they supported President Trump as either their first or second choice. And they said 61% said the same thing about DeSantis. Then it went on to say that another internal, see, these internals are interesting, but they're not always conclusive. The poll said that 52% have a first pick preference but they're still open to changing their vote. 7% said they don't have a first pick preference, and another 40% said their minds are made up about who they're going to support. But here's this. 55% say they're considering four or more candidates. Well, how can that be? 19% say they're considering three candidates, and 17% said they're considering two candidates. I don't know how that plays out, quite frankly. On the other hand, because if if 40% say their minds are made up about who they're going to support, how do we have uh, 19% say they're considering three or more, 55% considering four or more? doesn't make any sense. But then you go to this other internal. It says that most of those who say they're considering President Trump as their first option, which is 66%, say that their mind is made up to support Trump, while 34% said they could be persuaded to vote for somebody else. So Mr. Trump has a fairly solid level of support. And it's interesting to note 
that his support goes up with each succeeding indictment, and we can look at that by looking at fundraising. Now, it seems that Sleepy Joe has launched a $25 million series of ads that are all focused on seven battleground states. Now, I can't believe that people really think he's going to be the nominee. I, I don't even know if he's going to be able to survive the, the balance of his term. Maybe he's just doing it for appearances. They've got the money in the fund. They've got to spend it. But I, I think that there are other Democrats that are, whose mouths are watering, looking for the next trip and fall, looking for an indictment coming down, an impeachment. Um, it, it seems that Gavin Newsom in California, he's just waiting. He's salivating in the wings at the opportunity to run. And I still think the only reason why Joe Biden is around is because no one has been able to figure out a plausible, constitutionally permissible and acceptable scenario for eliminating Kamala Harris as VP, because nobody, as bad as Joe Biden is, I guess whatever surrogates are running the country, people are more comfortable with them than with what she would do if she ever became president, because she could be told all she wants. She's a figurehead. Once she puts her hand on that book and she's given the oath and she has the authority, she's not going to listen to anyone. And that's really bad because she's dumber than a stump. Uh, so I don't know that we want the country to be run by her. But look at some of these numbers. According to this, um, Biden has raised $72 million in the 10 weeks after he announced his reelection bid. Now, remind yourself, that may seem like a lot of money, and it may seem more than Trump in certain ways, but that's not uncommon for an incumbent president to raise that kind of money because the party is supposed to support him. But at the same time, in the same 10-week period, when Barack Obama announced his reelection in the April to June quarter of 2011, he raised $85.6 million. So his support was much stronger financially than Joe Biden's support. In the second quarter of 2019, when President Trump was the incumbent, he raised $105 million, eclipsing both of them. So the power of the incumbency causes monies to go up. So if you put it all in perspective... Trump got more than Obama. Obama got more than Biden. In fact, there's, almost, there's over a $30 million gap between what Donald Trump raised in the same period of time when he was in the position of being president than what Biden has raised. There's not a great deal of enthusiasm for a second Biden term. Now, Trump's um, <clears throat> campaign financing for a, a challenger who hasn't got even his party's nomination yet it's pretty impressive. He raised more than $35 million for the White House in the second quarter, which is almost double what he raised in the first quarter. The average donation for the Trump campaign is $34, which is something that they're citing as to show that it's not rich money that it's giving, uh, giving them uh, the, these uh, campaign funds. It's everyday blue-collar people, common man and woman, concerned about the direction of the country that, is, that are making these uh, small donations in great numbers, and that's accounting for the money that he's raising. In the, uh, in the days 
following the, the announcement of the uh, Florida indictment back in May. He raised $6.5 million in a matter of days. So, and um, this is $4.5 million from online donations and $2.5 million raised in one night alone at a fundraising event held at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, where he lives uh, during, the, uh, during the summer months. And I've been to Bedminster. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, something out of a Bible, almost like marching to the pearly gates of heaven. So uh, Trump has got strong support. Biden's support, I would say, not so much. But there's a lot of other things going on uh, that I wanted to talk to you about. We're going to come back to more of this. Um, a judge has set some very, very grave restrictions in the Trump case in Georgia. They're preventing the defendants from speaking to each other, which if they're charged with a RICO case, I would think they should be allowed to speak so they could coordinate their defenses. They're being all charged together. Now, whether there are motions for severance that will be filed by some of the uh, defendants, we do not know yet. We can anticipate that. It's probably very, very likely that's often attempted. Um, by defendants, particularly ones who view themselves as being on the periphery. But the judge has directed that all communication between the defendants have to be done through the respective attorneys. Now, I think this is done just to make it more cumbersome and more difficult for the president and his co-defendants to formulate a defense. Uh, if it was not Donald Trump, I would think that they would probably be a little more lenient. And also, I think setting a $200,000 bond for Trump is almost insulting. Does anyone really think he's going to run... He loves a fight, and he's standing there, and he's going to fight. And I could think the same could be said for a lot of these men. They have too much at stake in the community and their careers to, to be required to post a bond. This is all done for appearances and publicity. So I don't, I don't know <clears throat> that this is uh, going to come to anything. But it just goes to show you another example of a dual standard of justice in this country. And... That's why I wanted to speak about the support that Trump has, has been receiving in terms of being measured by his ability to raise funds, his continued lead over all others in the field, Biden's relative weakness. Look, this is uncharted waters. We're living in dangerous times. We've never seen the weaponization of the government by the party in power directed against its chief anticipated opponent in an upcoming election. This is something we've only seen in third world countries, particularly in banana republics like in South America. We've never seen it in the United States, and we never should. But we are seeing it, and it is happening. And what's shocking to me is that people that should know better, other Republicans aren't joining and saying, we can't allow this. That fat piece of garbage, Chris Christie, referring to his former boss, Trump, as a criminal defendant, as a criminal, actually, who's hiding, a man who's hiding. Trump isn't hiding anywhere. Christie should go and hide. He should bury himself in the sand, which I think he's probably done a few times at the Jersey Shore. I mean, he's emblematic of many of these rhino Republicans who are looking to capitalize on these arrows being fired at President Trump to try and feather their own nest and saying, you know something, I think it's time we rally around this man because 
if the left and the other side are allowed to do this to Donald Trump, they're going to be able to do it again to whomever they wish to target. And pretty soon, we're going to have a situation where the Democratic Party is going to decide for themselves, aided by their allies in the media, the corporate media, who is going to be allowed to run for the Republican nomination and who isn't. And that will be a sad commentary because we're going to be moving inexorably closer to the one-party system, which some of my friends already think we have. I still think there's a, a Republican wing there. We still have the, the uh, Matt Getzes and the Jim Jordans, but their number is dwindling, and we need more people to defend Donald Trump and rally behind him because the election, the re-election of Donald Trump would mean more than just the salvation of America. It would mean that the left would see they can't get away with what they're doing. The media has become inseparable from the Democratic Party. The one lone independent voice, Fox News, is no longer an independent voice. They're sliding inexorably leftward as uh, Rupert Murdoch's son, Lachlan uh, Murdoch, is increasingly left, and Rupert Murdoch gets older and takes... uh, a less active role in Fox News Corp. The only truly conservative uh, news station left is Newsmax, and we can only hope that they'll continue to grow and eclipse uh, Fox News. I also think that even if, for whatever reason, Donald Trump should turn out not to win, you're going to see a Trump news network. There's no question about it, because we cannot trust what's coming through the mainstream media, because it's not mainstream media. All it is is left media. It's leftist media. You see the same thing in all of the papers with the same slant, the same editorial policy. This, this election is more than about reelecting Donald Trump for the sake of reelecting Donald Trump. It's about reelecting Donald Trump for the sake of the integrity of the electoral process and for the future of the country. We cannot... We cannot allow what's happened, particularly in the wake of everything we saw in the 2020 election, bona fide issues that were never ventilated, never given a full airing before a court because nobody wanted to touch it. It was like a third rail in politics. Nobody wanted to look at it. Even Justice Samuel Alito said, look, I'm not saying we have to vote that there was hanky-panky in the election, but when one state is suing another state, for us to say those states don't have standing— We are, by the Constitution, the only court of last resort to investigate these claims. And for us to not even grant a hearing is beneath contempt. And he was exactly right about that. This is a collective, orchestrated effort to erode confidence in Trump by continuing to indict him and to saddle him with having to defend himself and make court dates so it's almost impossible for him to campaign, and for the purpose of draining resources from him. Now, so far, the erosion of support part of it doesn't seem to have worked, because every time they go after him and put another nail in his coffin, he seems to rise and go higher. But we don't know if that will continue. I hope it will, because I think most common men and women are seeing what's going on here. So every Republican who is not in Donald Trump's corner and fighting for him and advocating for him at the congressional level, be it in the House of Representatives or in the U.S. Senate, is somebody you should mark down and take note of, somebody you should consider not supporting 
anymore. We've got to purge these people. Now, in other news that I wanted to cover today, um, Hunter Biden, his, his little plea deal evaporated as the uh, Representative Comer and others have been focusing the flashlight on Joe Biden and the Biden family and the millions of dollars they were paid in bribes and for influence and decision making by foreign governments, by foreign corporations like Burisma, among others. So his misdemeanor deal dropped at the same thing, same time, rather, that's not the only thing that's dropped. Attorneys Brian McManus, Matthew Salerno and Timothy McCartan of Latham and Watkins have withdrew from representing Hunter Biden in this case that the Justice Department brought. They filed their motion on the 18th, and the motion was approved today by Judge Mary Ellen Nureka. No reason was given for the withdrawal. In a statement by the attorneys, it says, Mr. Biden, quote, has been advised of and consents to our withdrawal. He also agrees this withdrawal will cause no material adverse effect or prejudice to him and remains completely satisfied with Mrs. Lowell's and Jones' continued representation of him. The filing reads, noting that the prosecution was also made aware of the change accordingly, our withdrawal as counsel will have no material adverse effect on Mr. Biden's interests. Now, it looks like they may be doing this in part because one of the lawyers may be called um, as a material witness in this case uh, because... um, Attorney Christopher Clark, prior to the misdemeanor indictment um, being dismissed, he had also stepped down from the case. So he may be uh, called as a material witness under the witness advocate rule. It is, quote, inadvisable for Mr. Clark to continue as counsel in this case. They wrote when in that filing when they went um, on record as having withdrawn. So uh, a little problem there for Hunter Biden. People are running away. I guess they're trying to use his lawyers to try and help him uh, as witnesses rather than as advocates, and they're getting a different cast of characters in there. But how much is really going to happen to Hunter Biden as long as his daddy controls the Justice Department through his appointee, Merrick Garland? We really don't know, because if anything happens to Hunter, it's certainly going to trickle up. It's going to be one of the few times that Shit doesn't flow downhill. It's going to flow uphill right to the White House. And Sleepy Joe may be asleep most of the time, but he knows he doesn't want to go to jail within the few moments that he is awake. The last thing I wanted to cover today, uh, this was a a Monday without anything great shaking that I wanted to cover, but I wanted to get an episode out anyway for you folks, has to do with January 6th, because, and it's relevant to this discussion we've been having about Republicans not supporting Donald Trump or the rhinos, rather, not supporting Donald Trump when they should, because this all started, this second impeachment and all this other stuff started with this January 6th, trying to say that he was responsible for that uh, insurrection, which was not an insurrection. Nobody goes to overthrow a government and doesn't carry a gun. So uh, we'd all know it was a fallacy. It was a canard. Um, But they want to give you the impression, they want to continue to give you the impression that people forcibly broke into the Capitol with the idea of taking over the government when we know that that simply was not the case. And we also know that we have Trump on record, on film, and in tweets saying, protest peacefully. 
So you can't say that he whipped the crowd into a frenzy or advocated violence. Well, now we have more evidence, evidence that had been suppressed, apparently, in many of these sentencing in these trials. Metropolitan Police Department officers, we now know, gave protesters free access to a door on the west side of the U.S. Capitol for 12 minutes on January 6, 2021, after supervisors ordered them to retreat, leading one officer to remark, I can't believe they let them in. This from a new federal court filing. Now, there's an excellent article on this, which I'm going to read from in the Epic Times, uh, which is a paper that I think more conservatives should read. A lot of people try and give it um, bad press because it reports things that people don't want to hear, but that they are the truth, and no one challenges what they report. It's all because a defendant named William Pope of Topeka, Kansas, asked uh, District Court Judge Rudolph Contreras today, the 21st of August, to compel federal prosecutors to produce what he called highly explosive and exculpatory materials needed for his defense. Now, he had a 41-page filing, and among the revelations in this filing are that uh, MPD officer Nicholas Thomas Sula, seen in video footage, encouraging protesters to go up the northwest steps to the Capitol, had also infiltrated the Proud Boys, which was against the Metropolitan Police Department policy and in violation of federal law. Mr. Pope asked Judge Contreras to compel the Justice Department to produce an unredacted copy of the 90 pages of text messages between undercover officer Thomas Sula and the Proud Boys that he infiltrated, presumably because they feel that in an un- the defense, when I say they, they feel that an unredacted copy of these 90 pages of text messages is going to show Officer Thomas Sula actually encouraging people to go in the Capitol. And that would be something that I think would uh, be almost an entrapment and would cause many of these cases to be thrown out. Uh, An internal investigation by the MPD and Mr. Pope's own research have, quote, identified that other undercover officers were in real time praising protesters who broke windows at the Capitol and thanking persons who removed fencing. Quote, my research has also revealed that several undercover officers were recording media that has not yet been produced in discovery, Mr. Pope wrote. The government has also failed to produce all body camera recordings in the discovery. Now, the body camera of MPD officer Matthew Fleming reveals that department supervisors ordered officers to fall back on the west side of the Capitol, which gave protesters free access to enter the building. For 12 minutes, these MPD officers stood back and watched people enter the Capitol. Mr. Fleming's body camera also captured MPD officer Juwan Campbell remarking of MPD leadership, I can't believe they let them in. The body camera of Officer Joseph Young also shows that at 227, MPD officer Lynn Pittman said, we blankety-blank this, blankety-blank, all the way up. Officer Pittman then disdainfully curses in MPD Inspector Robert Glover, the department's incident commander, saying, 
There should have been a riot set up before they even got here, bro. So some of the line officers that were not involved in the chicanery also know what's going on. We see here a Detective Callahan. We see here a Detective Leva. It looks like they're in plain clothes to me. Maybe these are two of the detectives that were uh, in undercover uh, capacities, which was against federal law. And just in front of them, we see the late Ashley Babbitt, murdered by that cowardly Capitol Police lieutenant. And I know something about police work, uh, having been a student of it, and how shootings are conducted, and what laws justify the use of deadly physical force against a person. In fact, I've done shows or episodes of this show going over the Ashley Babbitt case, and there is nothing that anyone has identified that Ashley Babbitt has done which rises to the legal threshold of the crimes for which deadly force can be used against, and there was no allegation that she was threatening the imminent use of deadly physical force against that officer or a third party that would require or allow that officer to use deadly physical force against her. She was out-and-out murdered, and I hope that a new administration takes up that case anew when Joe Biden is gone and investigates it, because there are no statute of limitations for murder. Now, Mr. Pope previously disclosed, this is the defendant again, that MPD officer Terry Thorne waved protesters toward the Capitol, as well as another officer who said that protesters should be allowed to, quote, take this blank as people entered the West Door. Now, here's uh, another quote. Since undercover police officers are not uniformed, they influence the crowd as presumed peers. The only way to determine the precise relevance of their video is for the defense to review what undercover officers recorded and assess how that relates to the facts of a specific case. So this is all in this filing by Mr. Pope. And in a February filing, uh, Mr. Pope disclosed that three undercover officers now identified as Thomas Sulo, Detective Ricardo Oliva, and Detective Michael Callahan joined the march of protesters up the Northwest Stairs with Mr. Thomas Sula, or Officer Thomas Sula, shouting, uh, uh, pushed protesters in front of him to advance on the Capitol shouting, come on, come on, come on, let's go. Now, if that comes up on a video... That's going to be pretty damning. So now my question comes, if it should turn out that this assault on the Capitol was aided, abetted, and actually facilitated and encouraged by members of the federal government who infiltrated the the protesters, it would seem to me that one could make a very effective argument that they did this all as a way of making it seem as if the Trump supporters were extremists and were interested in taking over the government and preventing the the peaceful transference of power. And it would also seem to me that aside from the fact that Trump never advocated any violence and never advocated anything but peaceful protests, if this information is, is verified, confirmed, and brought before a court, it would seem to have a tremendous Um, detrimental effect on the case that was brought against the president in D.C. 
on this January 6th riot. So all these things are going to unravel as more and more discovery uh, becomes available. And I think the people in Georgia are going to regret their indictment because in an effort to prove that he did not make false statements, the president, the former president, is going to have to be allowed through his lawyers to bring in any evidence that he has of hanky-panky and irregularities in the 2020 election. In fact, he was going to hold a press conference, as I told you last week. They elected to forego that press conference in lieu of taking that data, that information, and putting it in a legal filing that they're going to put on trial in this case. And I hope they get cameras in that bloody courtroom so that people can see it for themselves, because they're going to be most interested in seeing how their government is seeking to pull the wool over their eyes and keep them ignorant, blind, and under wraps. That's about all we have for today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Thank you for listening. As always, please give us a review. Please share the show with friends. Uh, And once again, if you have any questions for me or topics you'd like me to cover, please email me at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. That's J-A-M-I-E. D-U-R-I-E 1776 at gmail.com See you tomorrow.